Good morning. How are y'all today? Doing all right? Good. Well, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be with you here again this morning. I think we'll have a good time, and I'll kind of continue the message that we shared last week. But before I do, let's uh, just open up with a word of prayer. If you'll join me, please. Father, we just come to you right now, uh, worshiping you. God, thanking you again uh, for the rain. Uh, pretty incredible to come twice in a row and both times be thanking you for rain uh, in the, in this country, God. And so just thank you for your blessings and and uh, and your favor on the land, God, for the people around here, God. And so we just worship you this morning, God. I pray that I pray that all distractions would be put away from our mind this morning, God, and that we might be able to just spend some time getting into your word and 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 hearing your heart and maybe uh, discovering some part of your will for our lives today, God. And so I just invite you to come and, and to guide us, God, and to direct us, and that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit while we uh, worship you together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys, for being here. Uh, I don't know. I think probably most of you were here last week, and I had the opportunity to uh, speak with you. Um, and what I used was Luke chapter 15. So just for a little bit of review, I got away from it and uh, and wished that I would have emphasized one point a little bit stronger. So I think it'll go ahead and and, and serve pretty well as an introduction to this week's message. But we, we were in Luke chapter 15, and the point that I was trying to make was that it specifically tells us that it was a parable that Jesus was telling the people. And he broke that down into three parts. First of all, it was the story of a lost sheep and a good shepherd that left, you know, the 99 to go and find the one and how there was great rejoicing over the repentance or the recovery of the lost sheep that had gone and then was brought back. And then the second part of the story is is the story of a lost coin and and a a woman who um, was searching through the house until she found the one lost coin. And when she found the lost coin, just like the lost sheep, there was great rejoicing, you know, over the fact that this one lost coin had been found. And then we get into the third part, which is the story of, of two lost children, in my opinion. We, we normally think of it as the story of the prodigal son, but the point I was attempting to make was that there was actually two boys that did not have the heart of their father. There was the one who, like the lost sheep, left the country or left the house and went out and lived in what we're familiar with, uh, some sort of sinful pattern of life. And then there was the older brother who stayed in the house, but equally, like the, old, like the younger son, did not have the heart of the father. And so he was, he was disappointed and he was upset and, and uh, he expressed ingratitude and, and you know resentment towards the father who was expressing love to what the father said. My son who was lost has now been found. He was dead, but now he's come to life. And, and, and there, was this, there was this gap between the heart of the father and both children. So I like to say that it's a story of two men that didn't know the heart of their father. And the point that I didn't think that I made as well as I, as I wish I would have made last, my, last week, and, and I'd like to just share with you this morning, I think that if we get that passage and that word is actually sown into our heart, it, I, I've at least experienced that it can affect the way 
that you interact with people and you look at people. Yesterday in my office, a man sat down and was visiting with me, and and uh, he had he had had a, a lightning strike on his on his tractor, and it blew up his GPS system and his and you know his guidance system. So it's time to plant corn, and he's pretty upset that you know he can't even plant corn these days without a computer, you know. And he was going on, you know, about all the different things that you can't do, and how his wife was kind of nagging him that he ought to just get out there in the field and and get that stuff planted, you know. <laughs> They're kind of button heads over it; just don't work that way anymore. More. And it became obvious with without too much discernment that at the very least this man was a lost coin. And if you know, if he if he did have any kind of religious beliefs, uh they were suppressed significantly by darkness. Okay. And and if he didn't, if he was actually a man who had strayed from you know, the house and, and, and was gone out and had never been lost or found. Here sitting in front of me was someone who was not living uh, a disciplined life. Does that make sense? He was, he was gone away. So, so in this environment, I was reminded of the story and I'm interacting with this person who I've had the opportunity to do business with several, several different times. And, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, is, is, is this man have the heart of the father? Or does this man have the heart of, you know, the lost sheep? Does this man have a heart of a lost coin, you know? And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking and saying, there, there is great rejoicing in heaven over everyone that's lost that is found. You know, and so I'm praying that God would, and then continuing, because of this circumstance, I know that over the course of the next week or two, I'm going to get plenty of opportunities to interact with this man, you know, as we do business together. And I'm praying that God would help me bring him back to Christ. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly where he's at. It was obvious that he had strayed at least at some capacity. So I'll get to know him. I'll pray that God will be with me and um, see what happens, right? You know, and so it affects the interactions that I have with people and, and um, encourages, it, it inspires me. It gives me a framework that I can use to recognize that even right here in this room, it's possible that there are people who have strayed from the heart of the Father. You might not have strayed from the house of God, but you could have strayed from the heart of the Father. See, the coin was still in the house, but the sheep had gone, right? The sheep had strayed both from the heart of the Father and from the house of God. The coin had not left the house, but had left the Father. That makes sense. So, so we would look into that. So today I want to tell you another story that I feel illustrates something similar to this. And you, you'll be familiar with this, but, but it'll, give us, it'll give us some good... It'll give us some good material for discussion for sure. So uh, this is the story of Jonah. Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? I mean, this childhood story you probably all grew up with. It's just a little little story about a man who uh, was a prophet um, of Israel, and, and the word of God, it says, came to him, came to Jonah. And so you probably, you're probably familiar with it, and I'm just going to point out a couple of different chapters, but see if, see if we won't see some of these same principles in this story. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1, and we'll just start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid the fare, 
and went down to it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So what we see here from the very beginning, I want to make this first point. This holiness does not run from wickedness. Holiness doesn't ignore wickedness. It's not, it's not even, it's not, uh, it's not, it doesn't retreat in the face of wickedness. Um, it doesn't withdraw from wickedness. It's not intimidated by wickedness. It's not, a, it's not afraid of wickedness. Holiness in a loving, listen, holiness in a loving but intolerant way. This is, these are not, these are not catch, these are not good catchphrases in our culture. I was like, this, I, I did, I really said this. I, re, I really did say, and I really meant it, so I'm going to repeat it. Holiness in a loving but intolerant way looks wickedness in its face and tells it to repent. Whoo! That is not our world. Huh? <laughs> We're a bunch of girly men. Right? Intimidated, tolerant, passive, weak, fearful, right? Men who observe wickedness in the house, God forbid, but we do, who observe wickedness in our own hearts, right? You could start there. We observe wickedness in our own hearts. We observe wickedness in our own homes. We observe wickedness in our occupations, in our, in our workplace. We observe wickedness in our communities, in our world, and, and we sit back passively for some reason and do nothing. We think that holiness withdraws from wickedness. People say it all the time. You're living a life that God can't bless or, or God retreats from. Your sin separates you from God. Yeah, you're, you might withdraw from God and flee from the presence of holiness, but God is in pursuit of people. He came, did he, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. When go back and read the first stories of whenever Adam and Eve sinned, did God remove himself from the earth and, and retreat into heaven? And Adam and Eve had to clean themselves up to get back to the presence of God? No way, man. Adam and Eve sinned. They're in a fallen condition, and God comes to them in the cool of the evening and says, Adam, what's going on, man? Where are you at today? Right? Yeah, I'm hiding, right? Scared. I'm fearful. I know that I I know that what I've done is wrong. And God pursues him. Right after that, Cain and Abel. Um, God comes to Cain. I mean, Comes, yeah, God comes to Cain and tells him, sin is crouching at your door, right? What's he doing? He's pursuing, holiness is pursuing, he's attempting to rescue Cain. He's warning him and telling him, wickedness is consuming your life. 
Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it, right? Very next story, right? Cain kills his brother Abel. When Cain killed his brother Abel, did lightning bolts come from heaven and consume, you know, Cain for his wickedness? Did God withdraw himself from Cain's presence and, and say that he would, you know, you know, gonna, he was going to, you know, fry him, you know, or something like that? No. God comes to Cain, and this is what he tells him. Cain says his punishment is too great to bear, and he tells him, listen, Cain, if anyone does anything to you, I will do the same thing, same thing to them seven times. That's not what we expect to hear from holy God. We expect to hear wrath and judgment and, you know, torment. And Instead, right here in the middle of Cain's sin, God comes, God pursues holiness, pursues sinfulness, and looks it in the face and asks it to change its ways. That's incredible. Right? This is the story of Jonah. The word of God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go to this wicked place called Nineveh. I want you to look it in its face, and I want you to tell it to repent. And Jonah says, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, man. I might go some places, but I ain't going there. In fact, I'm going to go, what was it? I'm going to go west, even though you're asking me to go east. I'm going to get up and go away from the presence of the Lord, right? So God doesn't withdraw from Jonah. God pursues Jonah, chapter two, rescues Jonah, has a fish come and eat him. And in the middle of this, you know, crisis of belief, I don't know what you call it, in this, in, in when it's, when it, whenever, whenever everything has hit the fan in Jonah's life, Jonah falls to his knees and prays, right? Asking to be saved from death, asking to have his heart changed, uh, humbling himself, uh, repentant in the, you know, in the, in the, how do you say that? The face of God in the, at being confronted with the, with his mortality, right? When being confronted with his mortality, Jonah gets drawn to a place of repentance, right? And, and, he, and he begins to acquire something of God's heart. So in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Is, is that one of the coolest verses in the whole Bible? I love that verse. I mean, it's cool that the word of God came to Jonah, God ever come to you or call to you and to ask you to participate with him in his redemptive plan for this world? And for whatever reason, you tripped or you stumbled or you fell or you strayed. Maybe you were rebellious. Maybe you were just, you know, distracted by some other occupation, you know, distracted by some other activity. Maybe there was, you may have had all kinds of good reasons for why you did what you did or how or how you went away from what God was calling you to do, and maybe you found yourself in, in, a, in a place of depression or being overwhelmed or a place of, a place of like self-doubt, a place of, a place of being, being consumed by the world, a place of, you know, a place of being, you know, overwhelmed by the circumstances in your life. Maybe you thought that it would be impossible. I mean, you see that with Jonah? He, he literally went the exact opposite way of what God asked him to do. 
He's in outright rebellion to the will of God for his life. And, and he's okay with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he, he's at sleep. He's at, he's at sleep in the bottom of the boat while everybody's perishing, right? Hey, just throw me over the boat, man. Right? He could, I would assume he could just repent and say, hey, turn the boat around. And let's go to, you know, Nineveh instead of Tarshish, you know, or something like that. The storm will stop. But he says, man, just, I ain't, I'm not going to do this, man. Last thing in the world I want to do is participate with God in his redemptive plan for these jerks. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to get my hands dirty with this kind of work, man. You know, I, I don't like these people. You know, uh, have you ever been that way? And then here it says, and the word of the, so, so in Jonah's wickedness, right? You understand that this man's a priest, this man's a prophet, this man is like what I was saying at the first, he's the lost coin, right? He's in the house of God, he's a prophet in the house of Israel, but he doesn't have the Father's heart, right? And we're going to see it even more. So the word of the Lord came to him a second time, he said, listen to this, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days walk. In other words, it was such a big place that in order to go through it, you'd have to, for three days, you'd have to walk to get through this town. Okay? So Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. Okay? He didn't go through the whole city. He, he, I mean, he gets pretty close into the center. I don't know if it's town square or not, but he gets into the city a little bit, one-third of the way into the city. He gets into the city, one day's walk. Then Jonah, let's see. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, this message right here, this message right if you were to look at it in the Hebrew, it's five words. God is going to destroy you. That's it. He walks, in, walks into this wicked place. Only thing he says is, God is going to destroy you in 40 days, right? And, and the scripture is going to tell us in chapter 4, Jonah was glad about that. That's what Jonah wanted to happen. God, he wanted to see this place go up in smoke, man. He, this was an exceedingly wicked place. They had done all kinds of things to the Israelites, to Jonah's people. Uh, these, these, were, these were murderers. They, this, this, we don't even know how to re relate. Possibly in the parts of the world where they're still crucifying Christians, uh, you know, and displaying people and, and, and persecuting people in ways that we would consider to be, you know, horrendous, maybe we would be approaching the behavior of these Ninevite people. These were wicked, wicked people, all right? And, and they had done significant damage to Israel and Jonah's people, and he didn't want to go. Some people say maybe Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh and at risk of his life, and I think that that's possible, but the Scripture doesn't really indicate it. Basically, the Scripture just indicates that Jonah hated these people. He wanted to see him. He wanted to see him die. He, he didn't want. He was. It doesn't. It really indicate that he was afraid to go. He said he was unwilling to go. I don't want to see him change. 
I don't, I don't know if you've ever hated anyone before, but Jonah hated these people. See that? So it says here, after he said this, 40 days and they will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed God and they called a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And whenever word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. And he issued a proclamation saying, in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let him call on God earnestly and let each man turn from his wicked ways from the violence in which he in his which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Whenever God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it, right? This is going to get real tacky in just a second whenever we apply this point to ourselves, okay? But let's, let's keep going to look at Jonah a little bit more. Chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> but it greatly displeased Jonah... And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall what this, their repentance, in order to prevent them from repenting, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you were great and compassionate, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abiding in loving kindness, and the one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, Lord, now please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is quite opposite of what we read in Luke 15 when there's great rejoicing over one sinner that repents. Right? Right? I mean, like this is exactly how, this is not great rejoicing over the city of Nineveh that repented from its sin, right? Death is better to me than life than to watch these wretched pukes come to Christ. Makes me sick, you know? I can't believe that you would let these people be saved. That's what he's saying. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? And Jonah went out. That's a good question for all of us. Do you have a good reason to be angry? (laughs) We're good at it. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it there and made a shelter for himself and sat under it until he could see what would happen to the city. So he's hoping maybe it will change, right? He's got box seats to watch the fire fall on the city of Nineveh. He's hoping that they won't be able to make it last, right? So the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up. He was extremely happy about it. Do y'all know that part of the story? Sun came up, withered it. Okay, let's see here. Go on. Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about this plant? And he said, I have a good reason, even angry, angry enough to die, even unto death. So I'm, I'm super mad, and I'm right. It's, uh, this, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be mad. Right? Justifying his anger, yeah. Look, then the Lord, listen to this. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow which came up overnight, 
and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? End of story. Now, isn't that something? Should I not have compassion on people that don't know any better? That's what the compassionate God says. Should the, these people, let me make a couple of points here. Uh, Jonah was reluctant to follow God because he did not want to see God save these people. Look at this. Um, They don't know the difference between their right and their left. Listen to this. We might make fun or look down on wicked people because of their wickedness or their foolishness. But are we willing to confront the wickedness in our own lives? Right? Watch this. Did you hear what he's doing? I'm, I'm just saying, if, if you, I don't know if you guys are students of the scriptures or not. But if you study the scriptures, you will find a couple of, a couple of phrases like wickedness and foolishness, and then this thing about instincts where he says, they don't, they, they don't know the difference between their left and their right any better than an animal, right? They're, they're, the scripture consistently refers to being led by your instincts, what comes natural to you. So let's make some real practical application for our wicked world right here. This, this wicked city, Nineveh, right? 120,000 wicked people. Jonah preached a five-word sermon to them, and they repented from their sin. Five words. I did a little bit of math. 365 days in a year, right? 365 days in a year. Over the course of 10 years, 3,650 days. If there were 1,000 Christians in Amarillo, let's, let's just say there, if there's only 1,000 Christians in Amarillo. And if those Christians only said one word, only said one word asking people to repent, that means this community has received no less than 3.6 million opportunities to repent in the past 10 years. Are there more than 1,000 Christians in Amarillo? Would we be willing to say more than five words to a wicked person or to the wickedness in our own lives? Five words. I'm attempting to present that the condition of our hearts may actually be worse than that of the Ninevites in Jonah's day. In five words, they repented. Right? And we're unrepentant. How many, look, how many... I read this every day. I go to messages every Tuesday morning. I go to church every Sunday afternoon, right? Every Sunday morning. How we listen to Christian radio. It's on everyone's, it's on, we hear it all the time. We're being bombarded with this compassionate love of God that wants Every one of us to deal with these issues in our lives. Every one of us. And we're unrepentant. Our communities are unrepentant. We, we would say this, watch this. 
you, we might make fun of these we might make fun of these Ninevites because they don't know the difference between their left and their right. We don't know the difference between male and female. That's unbelievable. We've lost our freaking minds. Excuse me. We've lost our minds. Do you know what excuse we give for homosexuality? It's just their nature. Of course it's their nature. It's sin. Of course it's their, what a stupid argument. If I did everything I thought of, I'm going to bust hell wide open, man. Right? I want to do all kinds of things that the word of God prohibits me from participating in. And because I'm subject to the Lord of my life, I don't participate in everything my instincts tell me to do. I have to have government laid upon me through the word and the Holy Spirit. I have to change my wicked ways because I'm not God. I'm telling you, we don't get it at all. We use this art. That's what he's saying when he says they just do. They just follow their instincts like animals, like un, like un in, in the New Testament, like unreasoning animals. They follow their instincts to their destruction. We're not supposed to follow our instincts. We're supposed to follow Christ. That means that we have to say no to our instincts and our desires. I need to stop. Let me, let me read some discussion questions for you. And I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit like I did last week as I read these. These are some pretty good observations and discussion questions from the book of Jonah. Number one, is God asking you to confront any area of wickedness in your own life or within your sphere of influence? He is asking. It's, that part's rhetorical, right? I mean, he is asking us to confront wickedness in ourselves and within our sphere of influence, okay? So here's, here's the harder question. Are you eager or reluctant to follow his leadership in this area of your life, and why? Are you eager or are you reluctant to confront the wickedness in your life? Or do we ignore it like Jonah ignored Nineveh? Let's see, number two. Have you or your family or your friends been hurt by someone that you're not yet able to forgive? That's the issue with Jonah. He hated these people because they were wicked. Anybody ever done something to you? that you're not willing to forgive? That's Jonah's issue. He's harboring unforgiveness towards wicked people. And, and look, so in the same way, look, God does, you realize, you guys realize God does this with us, right? Do you know why I'm a pastor? Because I needed to be. <laughs> I guarantee it. Exceedingly wicked. Right? And I needed to spend the past 25 years studying the Bible and hanging out with people that could help change my wicked ways. Right? 
That's why people become counselors. That's why people become pastors. That's why people become officers or teachers, right? <laughs> because they needed to be, right? That's the same thing here with Jonah. Jonah is asking God, God is asking Jonah to participate with him in the redemption of the Ninevites because Jonah needed to be redeemed. God is on a rescue mission. He's wanting to rescue Jonah as much as he wants to rescue the Ninevites. Jonah's a priest and he's deviant. He is strayed from the heart of God. He, he is not in agreement with God's will in the earth. He's far from it. He is, he is happy to hate the Ninevites and he does not want to see them repent. He wants to see them burn in hell, right? It's what he wanted. My, my grandmother died in a car wreck whenever a lady, a prostitute, committed suicide by running into my grandmother's vehicle, okay? There were six people in, the, there were six people in my grandmother's vehicle. Three of them died. So four people died, three people lived, right? Whenever, whenever we heard about the suicide note that the lady had left and what her plans were, my first thoughts were, well, she got what's coming to her. That was my first thoughts. And as soon as those thoughts came out of my heart, I said, oh my goodness. I don't want, I don't want that woman. My, my grandmother went to heaven. I'm confident that my grandmother went to heaven. I hope the prostitute did too. Right? I don't want her to go to hell. Right? But there was some part of me that sure did. Right? And I want that part of me to be removed. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want you to go to hell either. Right? Man. It's quite possible that you've been hurt by people that you're unwilling to forgive. And I'm just saying that, y'all, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want, I don't want to kick people between the legs today. That's not my goal. Right? I'm just, I'm asking us to read the scriptures together and apply it to ourselves. That's, you know, I mean, I'm not, okay, but, but think about this, think about this with me. What, what in the world could be more wicked than unforgiveness? Not, not from a New Testament perspective. If we who have been forgiven a great debt can't forgive people who've done, you know, what have they done to us? They haven't, nobody's done jack to me. And I've not lived a charmed life. Maybe I have from, from, from some people's perspective, maybe I have. But um, let's talk sometime, you know? If I can't forgive people, I'm a hypocrite. Right? Unforgiveness is wickedness. Okay. Um, Number three. Are you holding on to any forms of racism, prejudice, or bigotry? Are you ready to confess these things as sin and ask God to remove them from your life? That's exactly what Jonah was. He's a racist, man. Right? He's prejudiced against the Ninevites, and he had a good reason to be, okay? But God still asked him to change. He didn't really have a good excuse, you know? I mean, come on, I'm from West Texas, man. Do y'all, I'll, I'll share, look, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to relate. Y'all forgive me, I'll probably offend everybody, but this is, I, I, I'm sharing this with you because it's how God deals with me. You know, whenever I, my great-grandmother, she's a piece of work, right? Uh, Whenever I grew up, she used to tell me, 
Chris, you're the last of the Craig family. You're the last male. From little time, I was little. I mean, with my great-grandmother. She would tell me, you're the last Craig, and it's your responsibility to carry on the family name. So there's two rules, Chris. You can't marry a Methodist, and he, and he can't marry a Mexican. That's, that's Right? Okay. You know, I mean, that's how, that's how you grow up. I, that's how I grew up, right? The first time that I went with Pastor Paul, he took me on one of a ministry trip. He took me to a Methodist church in Lubbock. I'll never forget it. Took me to this, and we sat in the parking lot, and I, I asked him, I said, are we going to go in there? <laughs> that's how I grew up. I thought it was a cult, man. I didn't know why, because that's how I was taught to think, right? So you tell me that we grew up in West Texas and you don't have prejudice? I mean, maybe if you were born in the 90s, you know, maybe. I don't I doubt it, but, you know. But if you're my age or older, I know that you deal with this stuff, if you're honest. And probably other people do too, right? I don't know what the statistics are like today. But I know it's, I know it's still in a lot of people's hearts. Do you know what bigotry is? It's it's a unwillingness to tolerate someone whose opinion is different than yours. <laughs> I'm a bigot. <clears throat> it's the number one. It's the number one complaint against the church that we, that we're intolerant of other people's opinions. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that that's completely wrong. Like I said, loving intolerance. <laughs> We got to confront it. Something, you right? Yeah. Something, you know, some people are stupid. I'm just, just, I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah, right. And I got to get the, you know. No, but I mean, we need to be pursuers of truth. Last question. What, what are you currently doing to join Christ in his mission to seek and save that which is lost? This is, what, this is what I've been trying to tell you guys for the last two weeks. I'm, I'm convinced that there are both lost coins and lost sheep. That th there's lost people that come into this church every single Sunday morning. I think that many times we're so self-centered, so self-focused, so self-absorbed that we don't even recognize, you know, what's going on right here. God, God sends people our ways right here. Outside of that, I know 100% sure that you're going to interact with people this week that don't know the difference between their left and their right. They don't know how to do anything except for follow their own instincts, right? They're lost. They're, they're sheep that have gone away. And, and, and look, I wish I could tell you more about this. Maybe sometime I'll get a chance to do it. But, but we're, we're impotent in this area. We're incompetent. We're, we're, we're not fruitful in this area. If really presented with the opportunity to lead a lost sheep back to Christ, most of us would be completely uncomfortable with the idea. To actually ask a person to, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or to change, to, to stop following their instincts and to start following Christ, this is a very uncomfortable conversation for all of us right? And I'm saying that I, I think that this is an area that we all need to grow in, right? It, we are deviant from the heart of God when 
we ignore wickedness. God doesn't ignore it, right? Uh, so I'll, I'll just pray for you guys, and then you guys can have a discussion. I'm sorry that I've got to be rude. I have to go to Lubbock to a staff meeting, so um, I have got to hit the road, but I'll, I'll pray for you guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you guys the last couple of weeks. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too, and I'll just pray that, that God will be with you as we discuss these things and as we, as we seek the lost together this week, okay? So, uh, Father, I just ask that you would be with us today, God. I hope, you know, that that I'm not getting in the way of the word that your spirit wants to share with our church uh, this morning. And so, God, we, we do, God. I, I pray that you would shine the light of your word on every dark spot in our heart, God. Any, any wickedness that's still inside of us, God, that we, would, that we would go to war against it, that we would look ourselves in the face and, and tell, us, tell ourselves to repent, God that we'd be able to lead our families and our communities to you, God. And I pray for this church that, that in a loving way, we could, we could minister to people and help bring them from a lost condition in, into your kingdom, God, into, your, into the body, God, into, rec- this is what it says, reconciliation. You, you have given to us a ministry of reconciliation. And so we're begging you on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ. I pray that I pray that those people from this community that come that interact with these men would be reconciled to you in Jesus name. God that we would uh that we would be with you and that, and that we would enjoy our lives while we participate with you in extending your kingdom. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.